I just really want to, um, <clears throat> kind of as a church, as we develop and grow and as we move forward and we work out how we do certain things, what, what I want to say is, is that I'd love us to be able to build into what we are as a church, that the times when I preach, you feel free to ask questions. My observation is, is that um, I believe in preaching, I believe God uses preaching to change people's lives and change people's hearts. So my own life is constantly being changed and renewed through someone preaching God's word, experienced that this week, and I know you would, have, you would say the same. At the same time though, I think sometimes a preacher preaches something and you think, yeah, but what, wh- how does that fit into my situation? Or what does that mean for this? Or, yeah, you said that, but doesn't it say that in the Bible? How do those two things fit together? Well, surely it's at that moment that is the best moment for, for us to talk that through, rather than miss that, move on, most likely you forget, and the learning is decreased. Do you understand? Because I think what's ever so important is not just, it's, there's two things in terms of preaching. Number one, that you encounter God as the word is being preached and there's a sense of you being arrested and changed and you think, wow, yeah, I hadn't thought of things like that and God changes you. But then there's the other side which is applying it. What does that mean when I leave the church service? What does that mean tomorrow? Jesus himself said, didn't he, you're blessed if you do what I say. If you're just here, you're like someone who's, um, you've, you've built this lovely house which represents your life but you build it on the sand so it looks great but actually underneath the house there's nothing there that's going to withstand storms etc so when the storm comes and the rain beats against it it just falls down whereas G- Jesus said he likened that person to the person who hears what he says but never actually puts it into practice and that's the danger with hearing lots of sermons and in fact that's the danger of hearing a sermon saying I feel really blessed by that Jesus said no you're blessed if you do it that's when the blessing comes. And he compared the person who hears what he says and then puts it into practice, he compared that to someone who spent a bit of time digging, making some holes so that the, so that the foundation was rock and then building the house on the rock. And then the storms came because the storms will always come. That's life. But the house, even though it was beaten against, didn't fall down. And um, I, I just think, look guys, let's, let's be bold and why don't we just really develop something, especially while we're this size. When you get to, I guess, around a kind of 200 plus, it's a lot harder to have interactive. So let's make the most of the season that we're in. And if there's questions you've got and things you want, just ask. Very often people don't because they feel it's a stupid question. The funny thing is probably about 20% of people in the room are thinking the same question. And all thinking this is stupid, so no one asks. So please, I just want to encourage you to be bold. Um, don't worry, but don't, please try to um, deal with self-consciousness and, because it will help us to learn together. Is that okay? Okay. So we're looking at the book of 1 Peter. Um, and I um, hope you found it helpful so far. Just to give it, again, a very quick background. The Apostle Peter has written a letter to, really, refugees um, scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey. But in those days, was five regions, five Roman um, provinces, very big provinces, and um, they're, in, they're under pressure, um, not only because they are trying to find their way in a new society and trying to fit in and trying to find who they are on a social level, they're under pressure because they're Christians. And they won't do a lot of the things that the non-Christians do. So the non-Christians are having their drink, drinking parties and they're saying, we're not going to get drunk. They're having their orgies and they're saying, we're not going to get involved in that. We're going to be sexually pure. They're, um, very often, what was a big social thing, we should have a big feast 
And it seemed great, but actually it was in honour of a particular god or idol. And so the Christian said, I'm not going to come to that because it would compromise the fact that I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, not this idol. And so they were under pressure, they were being opposed, and they were being, um, they were being in many ways persecuted. And so Peter writes to firm them up in the faith and to say, look, this is how you should be living. And he says, lots of instruction, very, very practical. And he looks at last week, he's constantly undergirding it with the gospel the whole time. He's all about the gospel. So we're looking at chapter 1 still, and we're verse 22. We're going to go probably to the end of verse 21, to the end of chapter, chapter 1, if we get there. So um, verse 22, Paul, Peter says this. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We'll stop there. That's enough. <laughs> love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love. It's a small word, big deal. Agreed? <laughs> Agreed. I mean, people say love makes the world go round. No one quite knows what it is, but they know it when they see it. You understand what I mean? If I said define love, most of us are in trouble at that point. Or we'll come up with something different. But you know it when you see it. Remember that crazy story of the uh, kind of it's, it's, it's in Florida. There was an uncle and a nephew. I think they were swimming out in the sea, and um, and then the uncle began to swim in towards the coast. And um, his nephew was attacked by a shark. And um, the uncle swam straight out and whacked the shark as hard as he could, and the shark swam away. He'd done the shark, mate. The uncle done the shark. And he rescued, his, he rescued his nephew. You think, if someone said to me, Steph, what is love? I wouldn't say hitting sharks. I wouldn't. But when I see that, I say, there it is. That's love. Isn't it? That's love. Because the uncle really gave no thought for himself, but was at that point consumed with the safety of his nephew. It's a big deal. Love inspires so many songs. Very often me and the kids, when we drive, um, drive to church sometimes in the van or before we had a car, sometimes I'd use the van just to drop them off at school and we'd put the radio on and we'd be grooving around in the traffic jams. And most times, Daisy would say, what's this song about, Dad? Most of the time I'd say, listen and go, love. <laughs> what's this song about, Dad? Uh, someone's girlfriend's left and he really loves her and he wants her back. It's about love. <laughs> Again, what's this song about, Dad? It's about love. And you just think, Wow. We haven't grown cynical about love, have we? Isn't that, I mean, to me that's quite bizarre. Because we've grown cynical about a lot of things, but we're not cynical about love. When you see Gladiator, the, the movie. Just pick one out of the air, you know. <laughs> not that I use that one the whole time. Or Braveheart. <laughs> or My Best Friend's Wedding, or whatever other girly films are. But we see Gladiator or Braveheart. It's all about love, isn't it? Actually, they're both men on a mission. Why? Because their, their wives were murdered. Their, their, their wives were, their, and, and they, were, they were faithful men who loved their wives. They loved their wives. And their, their wives get murdered by the, by the bad guys and their whole life is devoted really to seeing that put right. Their whole life to stop at nothing. Why? It's love. Love inspires writings. Love inspires amazing acts of sacrifice. Actually, you know, sacrifice is easy if you love. That's a funny thing there. Sacrifice is quite easy if you love. You can get so far on discipline. We've talked about this before, haven't we? But when you get to love, love outstrips discipline by a hundredfold, doesn't it? I can get so far on discipline, right? When I say to myself, I should pray, I can get so far on that. 
I can get so far on I should pray. I can probably get 10 minutes of praying going for that. I can probably do 10 minutes for that. Every, every minute seems like an hour and I'm looking at watch the whole time. But that's I should pray. When, I, when my heart is amazed again at the love of God for me and his glory, I can, I can just go, mate, and I've lost track of time. What is that? It's love. It's love. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be, eh? a life of love. It's very inspiring, and yet it's not sentimental, because it's very sacrificial. So you say, well, what is the ultimate love? We look at the gospel. Actually, it is inspiring, but it's sacrificial. So the whole essence of love is that God gave. He gave his only son for us, for sinners. Right? So love gives. Love gives, and... Does love count the cost? I don't know. I guess maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But whether it does or whether it doesn't, it still says I'm going to do it. So God gave Jesus, and Jesus came. And as Jesus is on the earth, he's constantly given himself, and he's not getting much back. Have you ever noticed that? What did Jesus receive on earth? What did he receive? Not much, actually. We don't even hear it. It's never been written about. He gave. He gave to the poor, compassion. He gave healing to the sick. He gave forgiveness to sinners. He gave and he gave and he gave. What is it? It's love. And now Peter here is saying this. He's saying, having purified, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So the, the Christian truth, the message is all about getting you to a place of love. All right? If your truth doesn't lead you to a place of love, you've missed the truth. If you're one of those people that's so caught up about the truth, no, we must be really clear. Jesus is the only way. I agree. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. I agree very clear, the Bible's very clear on that. There's only one God, I agree, and all those things. But if that truth, if embracing that does not get you to a place of brotherly love, you've missed it. You've missed it. What does Paul say in his letter to the Corinthians? If I, if I have all amazing mysteries, if I, if, I um, if I know all mysteries and I can fathom all knowledge but have not love, I'm nothing. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm just a clanging gong. I'm like, dong, dong, like, oh, shut up. I'm nothing. If I give myself to be burned, martyrdom, I give myself to be, you know, I'm so strong on the truth. You know, no, we might, I'm going to go to the stake, for Jesus is Lord, and, and uh, it profits me nothing if it's not coming out of love. It's very shocking. Very surprising, actually. We've heard it so much, maybe we're not surprising. Well, I think it's surprising that Paul says that. You think, sure, but you've given your life down, yeah, but if it's not motivated by love, nothing. So Peter says, you've purified your souls by obeying the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now what should we do as a result of that? Here's an idea, love one another. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, love one another. Oh, hold on, earnestly. Okay, from a pure heart. That's what you do. Love one another. Uh, don't pretend. People know when you're pretending. <laughs> How can you love? You can love by listening to someone. I may have said this a few times, but it's something that constantly strikes me. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you know they're not really listening? They ask you how you're doing or whatever, and you answer, and they're just wandering around. At that point, what happens in your mind? What, what do you, you know, do you feel particularly inspired to carry on talking? Or do you think, oh, blow this? <laughs> Love listens. James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Love listens. Love's interested. It's earnest. 
So when we talk to one another, it shouldn't just be, I'll go through the motions, come on, coffee's nearly finished, yeah, well, come on, the service will start. No, love each other earnestly from a pure heart. Love's practical, very practical. You know, so I know, like, when the Rileys go out to Poland, Dean's going out with him in the van, he's going to drive out with him and unload and then drive it back. It's an act of love. That's an act of Christian love. It's just practical. And now other guys that have moved, James and Verity, when they moved, when we moved, just the love of the church is coming around helping us just to roll their sleeves up and get involved. It's love, isn't it? It's, it's, it's meaningful. It's meaningful. Love is, love, love, if it's earnest and if it's pure, is an amazing blessing. Most of you would have got the email from Davina this week. Obviously, I've been away a lot of the week and Davina's had some health issues and she's just been carried along by your love. She's been carried by your prayer. She's been carried by your service. It's amazing. Because it's, it's practical. And you can, you can say to someone, I love you. But when you do something, it's just very meaningful, isn't it? You think, wow, this is profound. This is what Peter's saying here. This is what we're about. We're about love. I was talking to a friend of mine a few months back. He said, people can smell lovelessness a mile off. <laughs> they can smell it. See, there's no point telling someone about Jesus if you don't love them. They'll smell it a mile off. You're just after another just after another scalp. Another one to sign up to your, to your religion. You know? Listen, Christians do want to see people converted. Absolutely. That is a very countercultural thing to say. People don't like it. It rubs people up the wrong way. But you've got to ask the question, why do we want to? Because we want to see them reconciled to the lover of their souls. We love people. We love people. And we are convinced of this doctrine that we are born alienated from the one who created us and the one who loves us. And the, this God has done all that he can to make a way, he's cleared everything out of the way by sending his son to make a way to have us back to himself so he can love us, do us good and bring us into what he's doing so we can centre around him, which is the ultimate fulfilling thing rather than centering around ourselves or anything else. So that's why we want to see people come to Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Everything is right about that. It's like the person, if you don't do that, you're like the person who knows the cure for cancer, but you don't tell anyone. You're like the person, you're like the person who knows the cure for AIDS, and then you walk around a country like Zambia, for example, where I think, I think it's something like one in three or one in five people you meet now are HIV positive, and you just keep quiet. You just keep quiet. Why? Well, I don't impose my, I don't impose my thing on them. Well, you've got the cure. Yeah, but I don't want to impose it. You know, let them make, let them come. No. If you know, if you've, if, if you've had the answer revealed to you, how can you keep quiet? How can you just say, well, we'll just see. Maybe they'll come to it themselves. No, Jesus said, here's the message. Go and tell them. But we tell them out of love. Yeah? We're not after just more names on the books, more numbers on the graphs. We're not interested. But we're after people because Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost because he loves people. Amen? And that's what we're about. And so if you're here today and you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian and you're not quite sure where you're at and you're thinking, are these Christians out to convert me? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would we coerce and pressurise you into that? Absolutely not. Can't. You can't. Someone gets saved and God reveals himself to them and they say, ah, and they, they get right with God. So no, but we'll tell you about Jesus. And we'll say, look, it matters to us that you get saved. It matters. Why? Because we love you. And God loves you. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to be deceitful. I don't want to just kind of just say, well, no, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter to us one way or the other, you know. No, it does. It really concerns me. 
It really concerns me that you spend forever in heaven and not hell. That matters to me. Yeah. It really bothers me that God gets the glory from your life that he deserves. Yeah. Absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Because I love you. Because God loves you. And we need to be upfront about these things. Because that's what we're about. Paul himself says, he says we're not peddlers. We're not salesmen. We don't, we don't, we're not like the car salesman. You know? I'm, I'm the worst salesman in the world. We had a VW camper once. <laughs> Sorry. A friend of ours gave us it, which was fantastic. And then, and then basically it had no heating in it. And we had, Daisy was a baby, and in the winter it was just like, you know, he's sort of breathing out the sort of smoke, you know, the, whatever it's called, the scientific word, I don't know. But smoke was coming out. And, uh, sorry, if I'm out, it's not, not the van. And um, we said, we've got to sell this thing now. We need to get a car with some heating. So I tried to sell it. So people come in and, and they say, so, and I tell them all the things that are wrong with it. I just tell them, because I wanted to be honest. I said, looks nice. I said, yeah, it is nice. I'll tell you what, though. <gasps> this is a bit funny, man, dear. <laughs> this leaks just a bit over. And yeah, if you, yeah, but if you look under these, see there's a bit of rust. <laughs> no, no one was buying it. See, I thought to myself, well, this, at least they'll know with this guy, if they buy it, there'll be no surprises. Yeah? Because I've given them the long list of what's wrong. So they'll know, they'll go with the, okay, you know, I mean, I like that. Personally, if I was buying a van, I want that. I went and bought a car once, it was hilarious. <laughs> You know when you just know you know nothing about cars, but you pretend you do because you think I'm going to show him that I know. Try and, you know, so that he d- so I said, right, better open the boot, mate. Uh, open the bonnet, mate. Open the bonnet. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So open the yeah, open the boot, mate. Yeah, looked in it, it's fine. Yeah, no. <laughs> Get a good suitcase in there. Yeah, no. So we so open the bonnet. So I'm looking in, and you sort of start tapping things, and it's really embarrassing. <laughs> you don't know what you're tapping. And he stood next to me, and I'm thinking, oh no. So I'm like, yeah. I'll just get underneath it, mate. So I'm lying underneath it thinking, I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> Came out and uh, went back to his house and um, I said, I'll take it. And there was this split second of this glance between him and his wife and I thought, I saw that. I thought, yeah, I thought, I saw that. But it was so subtle and it was gone in a moment and I thought, oh, it's too late, I can't, it's too late. You know, but it was so, I couldn't bend down to anything. Got the, don't worry about that, we'll talk about it later. So I got the car home. <laughs> Got the car home, drove for a couple of days, thought it'd be funny, this car. So I said, I've me- got this mechanic, and he would have checked it over for 25 quid, but I was being an Ebenezer, so I didn't ask. So I said, come and check it over now. He said, he checked it over, he said, basically, he said these, he's basically welded, you know, two cars together, something like that. Or basically, or something, or the, the whole of the middle is basically split. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean split? <laughs> yeah, I was under there. It was fine when I was a... The thing was a mess. But this guy, see, he, 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 he was clever. He was a salesman. The Paul says, we're not peddlers. We're not peddlers of the gospel. We're not like that. We don't keep certain things hidden. Away. No, no, just show you this. No, we don't do that. We don't do, we don't, that's, we, Paul says, we, we, when we tell people about Jesus, we do it in the sight of God. We don't deceive. We don't trick people. Say, no, you want to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. Absolutely. Does it mean you have to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Why? Because it's sexually immoral. And that's not what God made sex for. God made sex for one man and one woman when they're married. That's what he made it for. That's how it works. That's when it works best. Absolutely up front. So you want to become a Christian? You repent of your sin. You turn around. Cost you everything, but it's totally worth it. Yeah. Not peddlers. Not salesmen. That's what it is. That's what it is. But it's wonderful. (laughs) It's glorious. You see? And so, I don't know how I got onto this. It's not in the passage, is it? How <laughs> we got here? Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How do I get onto this? 
I know, but God's in it. God's in it. Yeah, we want to see people converted because we love them. And so we make it real plain and clear. This is what it means, this is what it doesn't mean. It's the most amazing message in the world. The Son of God poured out his life for you so you could be forgiven. Your sin is that serious and his love is that glorious. Okay? He loves you today. He's alive. He rose from the dead physically. He's alive today. He reigns in heaven. He's going to return one day and create a brand new heavens and a brand new earth. Between now and then, it's the day of salvation, the Bible calls it, when you can get your life right with God. God is calling all people to repent and put their faith in Christ. Absolutely. That offer is for you. It's God's free gift for you in Jesus Christ. Now, when you're faced with this kind of challenge as a Christian, let's be honest, those of us now that are born again Christians here, the life of love is challenging, isn't it? Is it just me? (laughs) Is it just me? I find it challenging. I'm naturally an argumentative person. I am, I'll be honest with you. Some of you may not have realised that. I'm naturally argumentative. I naturally have to have the last word. Something God's dealing with me on. But that's naturally my, where, I, where I go to. And I've realised that it's not always helpful. And God's helped me work through it. But I, I do. So sometimes I meet people that are a bit tricky in life. I find myself. I'm coming in with the last word. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah? And it's not always loving. It's not, it's always, it's not always the, the, the loving thing. I find people that are abrasive. People that are jobs worth. So we went and did some filming on an estate recently, local estate, right? Jobsworth caretaker. Comes up. Says, you know you need a uh, written permission for the council to film on this estate? I was like, okay, right, mate. He said, I'm not bothered. He said, I'm not bothered, I'm just telling you. I said, fine, no problem, it's fine. I thought, well, he is bothered. <laughs> Otherwise, why well, tell us? We just thought, we'll just carry on, no drama. Five minutes later, he comes back, he says, yeah, I made the phone call, yeah, you do need written permission. I thought, I knew you were bothered. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were bothered and I knew, you know, I knew something... And so you think, my, my inclination at that point is to say, you said you weren't bothered, and now you've got to get into a row. That's my inclination at this point. Because I think you're not being true. You're being tricky, you're being slippery, you're being deceptive, and uh, deception is a horrible thing. And I'm saying, mate, I just want to say, we will go, mate, but you came, you said you weren't bothered, and then you've gone and made a phone call. That's not... And I, that was, that's naturally me. And I just knew I mustn't do it. I've got to swallow. Because I want to love the guy. Do you know what I mean? But I'm just being honest. Maybe you never struggle with things like that. But I do. And I think, God, I just want to love the guy. I want to love the guy. We had to go, we had to pack up all the camera. We had, oh, it was ridiculous. We had a TV, we had a mat, a rug, or a lampshade, because it, it was all these props. We had to go and find and you're thinking, oh, you know, but if you know I want to love him, you don't know the Lord. Do you know what I mean? And you just think, God, help us. And so I can read these things and think, God, how do I do it? How can I really genuinely love people? Well, Peter gives us the answer in the next verse. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You see, Peter says, the only reason I can say this to you is because you are born again. If you are born again, that means the seed of God, and the word is, the Greek word for sperm, it's very, it's very the, the, the thing Peter's saying here in terms of giving us the illustration of a natural birth and a spiritual birth is very close to the illustration. And he's saying, just like... You know, naturally a sperm, the seed of a man will go in and, and, and meet with the egg and, and there'll be a conception. In just the same way, the living and abiding word of God that was preached to you has been like, a, has been like God's seed and it's come, spiritually speaking, into your heart and you've been born anew. Yeah? You've been born brand new. You're a new person. You're not what you were. So anyone here, if you are here and you desire to be like Jesus, that is evidence of the fact 
that the seed of God has come in and you have been born again. If you are here and you want to be more like the Lord, you want to follow him, you, and you, know, you know you get it wrong, but there's just that desire in you, I want to follow after Jesus. What is that? That is the new heart. That is the imperishable seed of God that has come into you and caused you to be born again. Because unless that had happened, you wouldn't want to do that. Every time you think, I want to pray now, that is evidence you're born again. Every time you think, I want to read my Bible, there's evidence you're born again. Every time you think, I want to tell that person about Jesus, I don't know how to and I'm really scared, but something in me wants to, it's evidence that you're born again. Every time you forgive someone when they've hurt and offended you, it's evidence that you're born again because you're concerned about healing the rifts in the body and keeping things right. Every time you say no to your flesh, which wants to do this or that, for the glory of God, it's evidence that you are born again. It's evidence that an imperishable seed, the eternal seed of God has come in, and even though it's being demonstrated through a very frail jar of clay, <laughs> we don't always get it right, actually it is an eternally glorious thing that's being made known. It's wonderful, isn't it? This is a doctrine of regeneration, of being born again by the Spirit of God. Peter, you're saying, I can't love earnestly. Peter's saying, yes you can, and here's why. You've been born again. God has acted on you, God has operated on you, you are not what you were. That resource of God is living in you by His Spirit now. You can do it. Draw on His resources. Look to Him. Look to Him. And I tell you, it, this is massive. This is massive because there will be people in the church, people in your workplace, people in your family that wind you up. Come to terms with it. There will be people in the church you don't get. They're your brother or sister in the Lord, but you don't get them. You think, I just, I try and chat to them, I just, just like that, I don't get them. What do you do? That's reality, guys. How do you respond to that? You love them. You love them. You don't make a fuss about it. You love them. We're all different. If Jesus accepted you, I'm going to accept you. I'm not going to write you off. I'm not going to do you down. No way. I'm going to love you because God loves you. I love you. You might not understand. You may not connect. My chemistry may just be... You know, some people, some, some people chemistry, you meet for the first time and you're just, you hit it off. You know that? Have you ever seen... I think chemistry is a very fascinating thing. You meet someone, and you can meet someone in a shopping queue. You can meet someone on a bus, the chemistry's there, yeah? You make the little joke, and they are with it. Yeah? And you're having a whale of a time. You're thinking, we need to go and get a coffee, because I've got a lot more jokes. And I need you to laugh at me some more. Yeah? This, this chemistry, you, you, bang, it goes, yeah? Other people, it's different from that. It's not quite like that. Have you noticed that? It's not quite the same. You bring out your best, and they get offended. Well, they look at you like you're weird. And you think, oh, what's happening there? It's just different. You, you relate differently. You connect differently. You don't see things quite the same. It could be all number of things. It's a chemistry. That's life. That's life. Yeah? You're not going to be best friends of everyone. No problem. But you love the saints. Because the Spirit of God lives in them, lives in you. You see Jesus in them, and you love them. New Testament. That's what we do. That's what we do. So it's because you've been born again. Hallelujah. Verse 24, all flesh is like grass, and it's glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now what Peter does here, just by way of concluding, is that he really just compares, he compares earthly glory with heavenly glory. You see, he says this, all flesh is like grass, and it's glory like the flower of grass. So there is a glory about flesh. Yeah, the natural. There's a glory in it. Every time you see someone beautiful, that's glory. 
Yeah? Every time someone acts in a beautiful way, there's a glory. There's a glory in humanity. It's God's stamp. We're made in his likeness. There's a glory in creation. It's glorious. It really is. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's actually very captivating. Very captivating. People can be captivating. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how certain individuals can, can um, just captivate tens of thousands? Have you noticed that? So what was that? Um, I'm loving angels instead. Who's he? Robbie Williams. Now, <laughs> listen, that guy can perform. I only, I've seen him for about 10 minutes on the TV. I was sat in a foyer somewhere, so about 10 minutes. And I thought to myself, wow, you are a real performer. And he captivates thousands. There's a glory in that. Is it God's will that humans gather glory to themselves and be worshipped like that? No, it's not. But there is a glory there. There is a glory there. There's glory in physical beauty. There's a glory in it. There's glory in talent. When you see someone very, very talented, when you see a, when you see a, a, you know, a Michael Jordan playing basketball, or you see a Roger Federer on tennis court, there's a glory there. There's like, wow, how did they do that? You say, how did you make that shot? There's a glory in it. When someone's very gifted at something and excels, everyone wants to come and watch. You notice that? It's the glory. That's what Peter's saying here. That's what Peter's saying. Look, yeah, there's a glory. There's a glory. But he says it's like grass. Well, what do you mean it's like grass? Well, it's like the flowers that you see on grass. What do you mean? Well, the grass withers. That's what I mean. It's there. It's definitely there. But then it's not. See? So Roger Federer, yeah, fantastic. But now, oh, it's Raphael Nadal now, isn't it? Yeah? The glory was there, it's great. Is he going to break the record? No, someone else has come along. Oh, they're, they're, oh he's, he's maybe, maybe he's withering out a bit now. That's earthly glory. And that's the tragedy sometimes of those who are getting old and, and, and they, really have, they, they see their glory fading, especially those whose whole careers and life is built on physical beauty. I mean, to be honest, it's a frightening thing. If your whole life and career and success and identity are built on your physical Either your physique or your beauty. I mean, what happens when you get older? What happens? Because it ain't going to look the same forever. Because why, why, why? Well, because the grass withers. See? The flower falls. What about your gifts, your talents? You might be excelling at work. Just excelling. You're the next best thing. Everyone's talking about you. You know, your name's on this. You're being brought up in the director's meetings. That, you know, it's amazing. It's great. And that's good. It's not a bad thing. But you know what? The grass withers. It withers. There'll be another hot shot in a few years' time. That's what happens. This is, this, is the, this is life. The flower falls. But the word of the Lord, which is this imperishable seed, endures forever. And so what is at work in you, if you're a believer, goes on forever. And so my exhortation to you is this. Do not put your hope in temporary glory. If you are talented by God, use your talents. If you are handsome or beautiful, praise God. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Praise God. But don't build everything around that. Don't. It's a false thing. It will disappoint ultimately. If you have specific gifts that you're just the business at, Excel. Excel to the glory of God. But don't build your life on it. Because it fades. And it falls. There's something that will last forever. There's something that will last forever. That something is the presence of God, his kingdom, and that something is in you. 
And there will be a time that comes, whether soon or whether decades away, where you die. And you need to be ready to die well. Christians should live well and die well. Time is coming. As the Bible describes it, what is perishable will be swallowed up by what is imperishable. And those of you that know the Lord and have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that treasure will swallow up the jar of clay and you'll be given a body, a physical body, but a glorious body that will live forever. That will not be prone in any way to any frailty, weakness or disease. Where you can enjoy God's presence and God's people for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. It will be physical, not floating around with harps, it's physical. It's about the redemption of the physical, but glorious and imperishable. And I want to urge you, I want to urge you two things, just to finish. If you're a Christian, do not be sidetracked by temporary glory. Because it's a bad investment. It's a really bad investment. It is a poor, poor investment. Because you are basically saying, I'm going to give myself for something that will probably at best last 70 years. At very best. By the time you figure out what that thing is and you're old enough to, you know, at best will last 70 years. At the expense of something that will last forever. And if you, if you struggle with that, if you struggle, you think, yeah, but here's the thing, here's the battle. Yeah, but I can see and touch this. That's the battle, isn't it? I can see and touch this. This other thing, it's kind of, it feels a bit, perish the thought, but what if it's not real? Yeah? What if? And you'd say, God, you opened, your, you opened my eyes to you once when you caused me to be born again. I'm standing here because you've broken into my life as I am born again. God, open the eyes of my heart, please, again and again, so that I might see with the eyes of my heart the glory of eternity. Then I can live how you want me to live. He will do that. He will do that. He will do it, but go for it. Ask him. And I want to urge you, if you're not a Christian, or you're not sure quite where you're at, I want to say, look, there is an opportunity for you to get right with God. We're going to break bread in just a minute. And when we do that, when we, when we eat the bread and drink the wine, what we're saying is, is we're, just, we're just remembering that Jesus' body was broken on the cross. In fact, Jesus at the Last Supper said to his disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. We're going to do that. If you are not a believer, I, don't, I want to ask you to, we're going to, I don't know how Lena's going to do it, she'll be up in a minute. That's fine. Don't worry about the pigeon. The pigeons seem to enjoy Revelation Church. That's fine. Don't worry. He's all right, John. It's cool, man. It's cool. I quite. It's, they're quite nice. <laughs> they're not really, are they? No. But, um, I didn't want to. I didn't want you having to spend all morning chasing it around. Bless you, because they're quite hard to catch. But um, on the internet, are thinking, what the heck is this church? They meet in Trafalgar Square. I mean, well, what's going on here? But um, I want to say to you, listen. Think about where you stand with God. If you're not a Christian, think about. Think about where you stand with God because God wants you to be right with him. God wants to forgive you your sins. God wants to reconcile you to himself and give you a brand new life. Take that to heart. Take that to heart. God loves you so much he gave his one and only son for you. If you're a, if you're a Christian here, and before we break bread and wine, I want to ask you to think through, is there areas of your life where you are compromising in sin and you need to repent? Are there people that you're holding things against and you need to forgive them? 
Are there areas where you've just been giving way to stuff that you know God wouldn't have you do? You need to repent. Please do so before we take the bread and take the wine. Because we need to take it in a worthy way. Um, it's very, this is a serious thing. So I'm going to hand over to Lena. If the band will come up, then we're going to do that. Okay.